0: Welcome to another episode of The Zag. This is Eric Jusob, today joined by 2011 fellow and NLC governing board member, Jaya Bumitra, our favorite animal lover, our favorite vegan. She'll talk to us about all sorts of those topics and more. Thanks for listening to The Zag. Jaya, how are you?
1: I am doing very well. Thank you. How are you?
0: Good. Jay, who is your favorite animal in your house? Because there's always so many cute animals there.
1: That's a terrible question. I know. I pick like
0: one. I, Choose.
1: You not make us pick favorites. Um, I, I have three lovely animals that live in our house. We have Cupcake, a cat, Tintin, a little Chihuahua terrier, and Midge, a little min, miniature pincher. Um, and she's the queen of the household because she's going on 13. Um, and even though she's the smallest at only 7 pounds, she rules all of us.
0: Sounds good. What? Have you had any like stranger animals over the years, like uh, hamsters oh, or birds? We have a
1: fair amount of animals. We've had a a guest rabbit that we fostered. We once saved an opossum. Uh, we've definitely had um, some wild animal visitors. I have, uh, I've had some moments where we've had to do emergency bathing of the dogs because they've gotten sprayed by skunks. And we have um, a regular squirrel who visits us. We named him Yogi and a regular uh, possum who visits us who we named Nicodemus.
0: I like it. When you think about where animal rights fits in the progressive movement, and you're talking to other progressives, do you find you have to make a case for animal rights? Or do you find most progressives are already on board with a lot of your beliefs? How does that conversation usually work?
1: I find that a lot of people who are interested in social justice causes tend to lean toward vegetarian eating already, which I think is great. So even if they're not vegetarian full-time, they uh, are somewhat familiar with the issues involved with animal production and animal cruelty related to that animal production. And so they'll often either be flexitarian or meat reducers, if not vegetarian or vegan already. Um, But what I also find is that when people do care about other social justice causes, even if they haven't. Been uh, become aware of these issues before when I discuss them with them, they have an open heart and an open mind. Um, I think most importantly, the message that I like to get across is that a lot of the systems of domination, um, supremacy, um, patriarchy, a lot of these dominant systems in, in our lives have created the system that we have for animals today. So where we have um, oppression affecting other human populations, it's those same systems of oppression that have created the kind of system um, that has now put animals in the position that they're in, where they are being neglected or mistreated or commodified.
0: So... uh Do you find then that the places that you've worked at, they've had different tactics in how they approach the the challenge of, of animal rights. Of the different places you've been, what did you see was the most effective overall?
1: That's a great question. I've worked at um, three main uh, animal advocacy organizations over the last decade. Um, Most recently, I was working at a group called Mercy for Animals, which is a very well-known farmed animal protection organization. And now I work at another prominent group called Animal Equality, which is um, another international organization with offices in eight countries. Um, And it is also a farmed animal protection organization. And both of them have used strategies that I think are really effective, namely institutional outreach. So what that means is they do have programming related to education and encouraging people to um, eat less animals and cut back on animals and animal products. And they'll have resources on how to do that in a way that's fun and healthy and um, accessible. But what I do in my day-to-day is corporate outreach. And what that means is that I um, lead a team of people all around the world who work with the biggest food players um, out there. So we're talking companies like Walmart and Nestle, the biggest food companies in the world in the restaurant sector, consumer packaged goods sector and retail sector and food service sector to implement meaningful animal welfare policies and the idea behind that is that you are able to affect sweeping change for animals in one fell swoop simply by um, affecting a few decision makers and so while we do think it's incredibly important for people to make individual and personal decisions to cut back on eating animal products and and hopefully eliminate them if possible um, at the same time there's animals that are suffering in the supply chain now and those animals can be affected. Um, and so we'll we'll do negotiations and, if necessary, pressure campaigns to affect these institutions and implement these policies. Um, and at the same time, we are doing that. These policies are are being enacted, creating a meaningful difference for the animals that are there, but at the same time also educating the public about the horrors behind the closed doors of factory farms and slaughterhouses through the media coverage we get regarding our protests and all our our different campaign actions.
0: And then how vigilant do you guys have to be with different state legislatures trying to pass bills that would prevent a lot of the the actions that have been successful for you guys in the past whether it's kind of like hidden camera footage or or being able to blow the whistle on different uh, companies i always feel like i'm reading about new bills that are trying to ban that is that the case or is those over overblown how would you describe that
1: that, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. We have um, had a lot of momentum in the legislative sphere, um, not only in the United States, but internationally. In fact, animal equality has an entire legislative arm that works with um, local governments to try to ensure that animal cruelty... Um, laws are strengthened and that there are bans on some of the cruelest standard farming practices such as extreme confinement systems so cages for um, pigs and chickens for example. Um, right now in California um, there's a new uh, ballot measure which I'm really excited about called Prevent Cruelty California that is um, intending to be one um, extension of a ballot measure from 20, uh, 2008 that was called Proposition 2 that was at the time the most um a uh, comprehensive um animal welfare reform in um United States history, and it basically eliminated the cruelest forms of confinement for cows um uh who are used in the veal industry so so baby cows um eggs uh, hens raised for eggs and um pigs raised for for meat and um now what we are doing with this prevent cruelty California initiative is taking it one step further to ensure that um not only are these um not only are these uh, measures enacted in California, but that they are also enacted for any of the products coming into California as well. So it is going to be um, a a really important measure. So I hope people do um, look into it. They can learn more at uh, PreventCrueltyCA.com, and um, they'll surely hear more about it in Los Angeles over the coming months. And hopefully they will vote um, to protect animals when they do go to the ballot box.
0: And you were telling me last week, you just got back from Brazil. When you look at other countries and how they approach animal rights, is there any country in particular that's way out in front or would it be a good model for, for California or for the U.S.?
1: Yeah, you know, Europe's pretty far ahead. Europe has um, been working on... Um, animal issues for for quite some time and has made a lot of strides, particularly for farmed animals over the last decade. That said, we are still doing activism. Um, Animal Equality has offices in uh, Germany, the UK, Italy, and Spain. And I, in particular, have teams um, in Italy and Spain who are working with companies to um, encourage them to eliminate cages used for hens in the egg industry. And then likewise, we have efforts um, that are underway in Brazil, Mexico, and India I would say that Mexico and India are by far the hardest markets because uh, we are um, still developing enough supply in the country to make sure that um, there is enough supply to serve the the companies as they make the switch. And that hasn't um, happened as quickly as it has happened in Europe and other places. But I think Brazil has in particular been a very exciting market to watch because um, Brazil Um, You know, it's still a developing economy, but very dynamic as well. And many, many companies there have been making commitments um, that are moving in the right direction. And Brazil is definitely leading the way in Latin America and setting a precedent for Mexico and other countries um, and the companies that operate within those countries um, that You know, if they can do it, any company can do it. And most importantly, for any company to know, um, you know, it's basic economics that um, supply will follow demand. And so once these policies are implemented the suppliers will have um, total incentive to convert their facilities because they want to keep these companies as customers. So the companies should make these policies because that's what their consumers want. They want um, better treatment of animals um, in the food system, and their suppliers will eventually adapt because that's simply market economics, um, and they will just you know, want to keep those customers, and so they will have to adapt and modernize their businesses.
0: And when we come back, I'll ask Jaya about a very important topic, namely, what's for dinner? She'll give us some good vegan restaurant recommendations. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Zag. All right, Jaya, how close would you say we are to a vegan burger that tastes like a not vegan burger?
1: That's a fabulous question, and we are so lucky that the Impossible Burger has already hit the market, and it's here in Los Angeles.
0: Is that what it's called, the Impossible Burger? That's what
1: it's called. It's made by Impossible Foods, a San Francisco-based company. Um, And the Impossible Burger is, in my view, the most identical. It is a plant-based burger. It's actually made of wheat protein and potato protein and some other things. Um, But what they do to make it so... Um, spot on is that they infuse it with heme which is um, it's a a very abundant in animal products as well as um, excuse me in animals as well as plants it's like a basic building block of life in all organisms but it is what gives meat its flavor and so they take that and they infuse it into this impossible burger to give it this amazing flavor the characteristic color and taste of meat Um, it is something that has given it a very unique quality so the texture of the burger the flavor of the burger the look of the burger all is so similar to meat that it has fooled even meat eaters and people can get that right here in Los Angeles at a restaurant called Crossroads Kitchen it's a high-end restaurant with um, very creative and um, wonderful vegan food I think it's a great special occasion um, venue to visit um, they also have a fabulous brunch um, but you can get that there and in- Beverly Hills. And then my other favorite is called the Beyond Burger. And that's a new burger by a company called Beyond Meat, which is actually based also here in Los Angeles. That's in El Segundo. And they are a really exciting company because not only are they attempting to make plant-based products that um, mimic the texture, taste, and all of that um, of meat products, but they're also trying to beat um, these products on price. And it's something that's very important for consumers, of course, to ensure that um, you know, plant-based eating is affordable and accessible. So they want to make sure that there's simply no reason not to choose their burger over a meat burger. And you can get yeah, that in was, any veggie curl.
0: That's what I was going to ask about the Impossible Burger. From the restaurant itself, does it end up being a little more expensive or is it cheaper to produce burgers that are not meat-based?
1: Um, it, it depends. So at the moment, I think because there's so much new technology in this space, at the moment, um, it's the costs are a little bit higher, and that's simply because um, they're trying to, to really invest in what will be the most ideal options for people compared to what they're used to eating with um, real animal products. But what's so exciting is that these companies are, are intending to disrupt the industry. So what that means is they are working very hard to make sure that once their products are fine-tuned and available on the market um, and over time the costs will go down. So they want to make their products as available to everyone as possible and what's really interesting about um, some of these companies and um, the Beyond Burger in particular which I I just uh, mentioned is that they uh, have investment from Tyson Foods which is the largest um, meat producer in the United States and one of the largest worldwide. It's one of the two largest worldwide. And even the industry itself is starting to see the value of investing in these um, products as opposed to being competitors. They want in on the game.
0: That's what I was going to ask, because if it did work out where no one could tell the difference between plant-based burger and a meat-based burger, there's so much upside to the plant-based burger. But then I would just picture the meat industry just putting on the most intense. Uh, lobbying campaign to make sure that we only had one option that was meat-based burgers i don't know i don't understand how you would withstand that lobbying onslaught how would that even work
1: well there so the lobbying onslaught's not going to happen because we have the biggest company like tyson foods who who do want to they see the potential and we've just recently received funding um for for these um initiatives from bill gates from um from uh uh, Richard, Richard Branson, right? That's the guy from Virgin. Um, there's some really exciting investors who are are thrilled about the potential of the plant-based innovation space. And that includes not only uh, plant-based options, but it includes what's called clean meat as well. And for those who are not familiar with clean meat, it is grow, uh, basically real meat that's um, created by growing meat outside of an animal. They use a small cell sample to do so, but it eliminates the need for factory farming and slaughter altogether. So, so ultimately, the result is 100% real meat, but there's no antibiotic residue, there's no bacterial con- contamination that comes with conventional meat production. It's a very efficient process, better for the environment, reducing land and water costs. Um, it's also, of course, significantly better for animals because while it is real meat, there is no sentient being that's ever um, created, so there's nobody to suffer. So, it is a truly innovative concept. And so, on one hand, you have companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods creating plant-based innovation where there are products that are are really made from plants but mimicking meat and then you have clean meat companies like Memphis Meats and some others that are becoming really popular that are creating clean meat, milk and eggs and you can find out more about clean meat at gfi.org that's for the Good Food Institute Um, they're a wonderful organization that's um, promoting some of these products and really um, active in this space and also providing education to the public about them but the industry the meat industry itself sees that, you know, if, if they're being at least somewhat astute in the fact that if they don't. Participate, they're going to get left behind. I think that they understand that there's a natural selection of companies in the business sphere as well. And that if they want to still be viable in a decade or two decades, they need to adapt their businesses. And consumers don't want to harm animals. Consumers don't want to degrade the environment. Consumers don't want to, um, you know, end up with unhealthy. Um, you know, unhealthy diseases like heart disease or diabetes. And these are solutions that can help. And so I think that this disruption is a very exciting um, opportunity. And even the meat industry itself is taking notice.
0: Hmm. Makes sense. Uh, we'll come back after one more break. We'll ask Jaya, who's lived in LA a long time, where she sees the city going in the future. Stay tuned. Jay and I were at an event last week for NLC. We had an info session uh, promoting our uh, fellowship for 2018. The application deadline is October 1st. And Jay and I always love those uh, meetings because you meet some really cool people. And there are a couple of folks who are relatively new to L.A., which is always exciting as well. You get to promote your, your city. Jay, you've been here a long time. How are you describing the state of L.A. right now? How are you describing where L.A. is going in, say, the next five or ten years when you talk to people who are new?
1: I mean, L.A. is such an exciting and dynamic place to live in every capacity. And I think it's definitely a progressive hub. It's an amazing place to live if you are even remotely interested in in vegan or vegetarian eating. There's so many options here. There's probably around 300 restaurants that are either vegan or vegan friendly. But just in general, I think that there's a lot going on in the city in terms of um, supporting progressive causes where there's always rallies to participate in people are always mobilizing even though we have um the distance with and the traffic to contend with i think that there is a real sense of community here and nlc is an important part of bringing us together
0: and you have spent a good chunk of your life down in south bay what um kind of changes are you seeing in the south bay cities these days
1: yeah, you know, the South Bay is unfortunately a little bit conservative, and I wish it were <laughs> I wish it were moving in a, a more progressive direction. But that said, we've had some really wonderful legislators in the South Bay that I have been very happy um, to support. Um, Ted Liu is a wonderful legislator with a very progressive agenda. Ben Allen is another. Um, so we've been very lucky to have some great legislators who are representing us. I'm um, very excited to see um, John Chang is um, running for governor. So I think that there are some really interesting um, leaders to watch. And some of our own um, cohort members from NLC are supporting on those campaigns or, or providing strategic counsel. Um, and I would love to see even more folks from our NLC community uh, run for office. And, and I know that some people have planned on it or have done so already. But I think that there's such an opportunity in Los Angeles to push the ball forward. And I think that the people in NLC have... Spent something very special to add because not only are they um, progressively minded and concerned about social justice for all communities, but they have a a heart and um, a a mindset that is so holistic and so um, kind that I really think is something that can be easily lost in politics, you know, we've all read Animal Farm. And I think that the people in NLC are very true to their own values and true to themselves. And I think that that will resonate as they continue in their careers. And so I think that when you come from the NLC family, you always carry that with you and become a more genuine and authentic representative of the community.
0: Well said, and I, I'm glad you brought up John Cheng. I, I always will have a soft spot in my heart for for John because I sat next to him at your wedding. Oh yeah, and he was very nice. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> I was like, hey man, you're the guy that signs my rebate checks, and you're you're, you're very nice to be here. So I always, yeah, I have a soft spot for that guy. Yeah, he he's nice. great. Uh, listen Jaya thanks for joining us thanks for all the food tips if you want to have dinner with Jaya she's a good dinner date so hit her up she'll take you to all the good vegan spots and thanks for listening do it yeah thanks for listening to another episode of The Zag Uh, you can see all the episodes at la.newleaderscouncil.org and don't forget to check out uh, details on our fellowship application does close on October 1st we'd love to see your application come through thanks for listening we will talk to you soon